You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. At the end of Luke's gospel in chapter 24, Jesus tells his disciples, you are my witnesses. He says this in chapter 24. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then again in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 5, we read in well Staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise. Everybody say, wait for the promise. Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In both passages, Jesus, he shares that he has a plan. Thank God he has a plan. That plan involved his followers staying around Jerusalem for an unspecified period of time, waiting, just waiting, for the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit into their lives. And so for the next few moments here tonight, I'm going to speak to you on this topic. That's what happens when we wait. That's what happens when we wait. Wait. When you are promised something, that's not the word that you want to hear following it. I've got a gift for you, but you have to wait. My kids, they get so, they get so restless when I tell them that they have to wait for something. Whether it's waiting on Christmas to come, or on their birthdays to come, or on a trip that we've planned to come, they can't wait. Well, when driving in the car, even if it's just a short distance to the church, even though we've been here a million times plus one, they ask over and over again, are we there yet? They know the route. They know how long it takes. They know that we're only halfway. No, we're not there yet. You have to wait. Jesus had told his disciples the words that the world had been waiting to hear for thousands of years. He told them that the promise that they had been waiting on for so long, they had to wait a little bit longer. Go to Jerusalem and wait. God, we've already been waiting so long. Can't you just do it right now? Can't you just make it happen right now? How many times have you wondered in your life, what are you waiting on, God? I'll take that healing now. I'll take that promise now. I don't know why we have to wait. Are we there yet? Don't tell me you haven't been in a place of your life that you don't understand why God is prolonging what he's promised you. Are we there yet? The disciples, those who followed the Lord, have been given a promise that God's Spirit would once again be present in those who believed. God would commune with people once again just like he did in the beginning with Adam and with Eve. They were to pray Enjoy a time of fellowship, and more importantly, wait. How many of us like to wait? So many hands have been lifted up all across this place. Oh, 
my, the patience that is in this room. We want fast service no matter how long it takes. <laughs> it's not something that a great many people enjoy doing. Did you know that the average person today will spend an average of four to five years in their life waiting? Four to five years of your life just spent waiting for things. We spend time waiting to fall asleep each night, some more than others, waiting for our smartphones or computers to download the information that we want or to even work, waiting for the doctor or dentist, waiting for some type of medical test to come back, waiting on the freeway or at an endless number of traffic lights, waiting in line while shopping. Oh, that's my favorite. One could say that a great part of our modern life today is spent waiting for this or for that. And so we can understand what our disciples were going through in chapters 1 or two, one and 2 of the book of Acts. They were waiting. They were waiting, and they didn't know the full extent of what it would mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. They didn't know the exact timetable, but at least 120 of Jesus' disciples decided to hang around Jerusalem waiting. Surely you can imagine that he would have accumulated more than 120 followers in his three and a half years of ministry. After all, he was the Messiah. But they that waited, those 120 that did go to Jerusalem and they did wait, those are the ones who got to experience the incredible promise that he spoke about. They might not have understood what was about to happen, but they knew that they didn't want to miss it. The Apostle Luke, he tells us that on the morning of Pentecost, that waiting came to an end. God's Holy Spirit was poured out in an amazing way. Brother Hanscom, he began to speak about it, and a pastor preached about it this morning. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 2, and you might know it here this morning, uh, tonight, sorry. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues, like as of fire that sat upon each of them. And they were somewhat filled. Some of them got filled. No, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All of this, of course, it caused quite a stir. People from all over wanted to know what in the world is going on. What in our world is going on? And people still ask that question here today. They still ponder the question, what in the world is going on? They look at the church and wonder what in the world is going on in their world. Why are they so happy? <laughs> and Peter, he stands up and shares the message of Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that some 3,000 people believed and received this initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And I think all of us would have to agree that what happened on Pentecost was well worth the wait. Can you imagine any church running 120 people just like that mushrooming to 3,000 after one service? My land. We can see in the first few chapters of the book of Acts the power, the proclamation, the fulfillment of God's promise. Somebody looking at this story for the first time might think that these people had only waited seven days for the promise. 
But in reality, in all actuality, humanity has been waiting for thousands of years. Oh, have we waited on the Lord. That day of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Ghost, was a fulfillment of God's plan and promise. A plan and promise that the Lord had shared with His prophets. Joel, he talked about it. In chapter 2 of his book, he says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the hand servants in those days will I pour out my Spirit. The prophet Ezekiel, he talked about it as well. He says in chapter 36 of his book, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my decrees. Jeremiah, he talked about it as well. He says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Jesus tells his disciples this same plan and promise. In the book of John, Jesus spends a great deal of time talking about it. And he tells his disciples that soon he will send them the helper, the comforter, the spirit. He tells them that the Holy Spirit will infill them with truth, knowledge, and revelation. The Holy Spirit will convict people of their sins and lead them to experiencing the Lord in a way they never had before, in a way that they were designed to have a relationship with their Creator, but have never been afforded the opportunity. The Holy Spirit will bring them to experience a oneness with the Lord God Almighty. He tells them, these disciples, that the Holy Ghost will give them the power to do even greater things that they have seen him do. Can you imagine? This would be the tool that we would need to live in this world but not be of this world. This would be exactly what we would need to walk by faith and not by sight. On the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover, God's promises came to pass. His Spirit was poured out, and God's promise of a new age for all creation began. God's plan and promise was to pour out His Spirit, and it came in like a flood. The heavens burst wide open to those who were open to receive it. And for Pentecost to happen, the disciples, the followers of the Lord, the believers, had to do their part. They, first of all, had to obey and listen to Christ. That sounds simple, doesn't it? It sounds really easy to do, but it's not that easy to do. Jesus told them to stay around Jerusalem and wait. We don't like waiting. We read in verses 12 to 14, that is exactly what those 120 did. They went to this place called the upper room, and they waited. They stopped all that they had been doing. They cleared their agendas. They waited. They put away their cell phones. They turned off their notifications. And they waited on the Lord. No, maybe not to that extent. <laughs> we have so much more to turn off these days, don't we? 
these 120 people put their lives on pause to wait on the Lord. It's easy to read Acts chapter 1, verse 2, and get all caught up in the symbols of the wind, the fire, the languages, and forget that none of this happened by accident. It happened because God had a plan and a promise. And part of that plan and promise included the disciples being obedient to the Lord. That obedience meant for however long it took, they had to stay in Jerusalem and wait. However long it takes, Lord, we will wait on you. They didn't know if it was going to be a couple of hours. They didn't know if it was going to be a day, a week, a month. But forever long it takes, Lord, we will wait on you. No doubt there was a great deal of sharing stories while they waited, speculating how the promise was going to come. But the majority of the time was dedicated to praying, spending time in God's presence and waiting. And Pentecost, it came through individual and corporate prayer. And I don't believe we would have been reading about Pentecost or anything else that has to do with the early church tonight if they had not spent that time in prayer. Their obedience to the Lord and their prayer opened up the way for the Lord to send His Spirit. We can't underestimate the value and the need for prayer. A church that is built on a foundation of prayer will never fail. The early church experienced Pentecost because they had spent, they had dedicated, they had sacrificed time in prayer. They had worn the knee pads out of their pants. They had spent time in prayer. Without prayer, there is no power. Without prayer, there is no spirit. There is no presence. The gospel writers, it tells us that Jesus called his father's house a house of prayer. Today, God's house is a great many of things, a place to gather for worship and praise, a place to gain more insight and knowledge, a place to connect with believers in the Lord, a place to enjoy food and fellowship. And I know it doesn't look like that, but I enjoy that part too. None of those things are wrong. In fact, as we read in Acts, they are the very things that the early church did. But the number one thing that will move heaven and earth the number one thing that will activate God's Spirit in our lives is prayer. And it was out of their prayer time that they received their strength, their instruction, and the continued infilling presence of the Holy Spirit. It was out of prayer that they experienced oneness with the Lord and with one another. It was out of prayer that they experienced people coming to faith. We have to understand tonight that the promises that God wants all of us to receive will overflow in our lives only as we appropriate them through our prayer times. Prayer is the key. Praying individually along with corporately is why Jesus had them wait. Prayer changes us. Let me say that again. Prayer changes us. That's why it's so important that we come into this place and we begin to pray. We start off with prayer because we want our hearts to be fertile soil. We want our hearts to be a place where Jesus can plant His words and its roots can dig down deep. Prayer isn't a way to make what we want done. Prayer is a way to get God's will done. If we don't want to change, then we will abandon prayer. If all we want is what we want, we will perpetually perpetually be rubbing that genie lamp in hopes of having what we want. Prayer, true prayer, 
brings us in alignment with God's plans and purposes. It brings us closer together with the Lord and with one another. It opens up the doors to the promise of Pentecost. It is the key to unlocking spiritual doors of blessings. I remember as a child, we used to pick up an elderly lady uh, for church, and we'd pick her up along the way. And she was known throughout the community, not even just at our church, as a lady of prayer. And she would spend time every morning in prayer with God. And uh, nobody would be able to get a hold of her in that time of prayer. She wouldn't answer the door. She'd leave the phone off the hook. She was talking to God. And today, we'd have to turn off our watches. We'd have to turn off our phones. We'd have to turn off the phone on the wall. We'd have to turn off our computers. We'd have to mute the notifications. All of that in dedication and intentionally getting to that place of prayer. Waiting on the Lord. We see that all the signs that we read about speak to us about the majesty and the power of the Holy Spirit. The wind, the fire. They're symbols of the work that the Holy Ghost wants to do in our lives and through our lives. Each one reminds us that the Lord wants to cleanse us, infill us, and enable us to be redeemed, renewed, restored in His image. The image of the wind reminds us that the power of the Holy Ghost comes from outside of ourselves. Tonight, you and I do not have the inherent power to transform ourselves. We didn't get here on our own. It's like that turtle on the top of the post. It didn't get there on its own. We do not have within us some innate power that all we need to do is just tap into and suddenly we can experience great transformation in our hearts, minds, and souls. Some religions believe that there is at the core of every human being a special power that merely needs to be released. A power that is native in everyone. It is their belief that every person has been born with the godlike power that only needs to be tapped into and released. They believe that all a person has to do is to empty themselves of the things of this world, and by doing so, they will discover their own godlikeness. And then through their own godlikeness, they will be able to experience tranquility, serenity, and happiness. But God's Word, somebody hear me tonight, God's Word teaches us that if we empty ourselves of ourselves and believe on Him, He will fill us with Himself. He's the one that's got the power, I don't. He's the one that's got the strength, I don't. He's got the one that has the ability, I don't. Before we came to Christ, we were dead. There is nothing to awaken because there is nothing holy in us. The whole reason our Lord came to this earth, lived among us, and died for us on Calvary was not to awaken us or rekindle some innate godlike power within us. It was because we needed to be rescued. It was because we needed to be redeemed and restored. We couldn't do it on our own. We don't have the power. We don't have the capacity to do it on our own. We need God. The whole reason our Lord came to this earth is for that. The apostle Paul, he wrote to the church in Ephesus and said in the first chapter, in verse 4, he said, for he chose us. Somebody say tonight, he chose us. Oh, thank you, Lord. He, Paul, he continues to say, for he chose us in him. Did you, did you catch that? He chose us in Christ, period. You were chosen by God. You didn't have to earn it. 
You didn't have to beat others out to get it. He chose you. In society, some may get picked last for everything, but not in God's kingdom. Perhaps that's why I appreciate that God makes the choice and that he makes it by grace. Our worth is not a reason for God to accept us. It is the result of God accepting us. For he chose us, he continues to say, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Think about that for a moment. We were, wrote Paul, chosen before the creation of the world. It's not that God created a world and then created people to dwell in it and then chose his favorites. I'll I'll pick this one and I'll pick that one. I'll pick this one. No, he chose us first and then created a world for us. Someone has put it this way. Before there was a place for the universe in God's hand, there was a place for me in God's heart. The applause that we get for the world, or maybe even lack of applause, from the crowd around us, it it means nothing. The likes on Facebook, the hearts on Instagram, the follows on TikTok, it means nothing in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul, he assures us that a position has been secured for you. He says in verse 5, he says, in love he predestined. You are predestined. But for what? He says, in love he predestined us for adoption. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, you were adopted. (laughs) You were brought into the family of God. The wonderful thing about adoption is that we're chosen. We're chosen. Paul wrote his words in the context of a Roman world in which only the wealthy adopted those children who were well-suited for the inheritance of that particular family. But he points to God who knew everything there was to know about us and yet he still chose us. There is nothing we can say, there is nothing that we can do that will surprise God. Under God's eyes, we have no skeletons in our closet which would cause him to ignore us. We are totally covered by his love. He says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. What he was saying is that there are no second-class citizens in God's family. One is not greater than the other. When you give your life to Christ, you receive all the benefits of being his child. Our adoption means that we are loved and we are embraced, every one of us, no matter what matters. He is a father to the fatherless. He is a love to those who have never experienced true love. He is hope to the hopeless. And tonight, Jesus, he died because we needed a Savior. The message of Pentecost is the message that the Lord wants to cleanse, purify, and empower those who believe. And as you read the entire book of Acts, you see this being played out chapter after chapter. We see sickness and disease conquered. We see people's needs, emotional, material, social, and spiritual being met. Chapter after chapter, we see God's Spirit flowing through the lives of men and women, homes, communities, whole societies being transformed. That is what happens when we wait on the Lord. When we wait. If I could have the music come back at this time. We can stand as well. We all come to a close. 
Many people today believe that our nation is beyond redemption. Many people today believe that the best days for Christianity are over. That the best days are behind us and that fewer and fewer will remain in the faith. However, as I read God's Word, I have not discovered that our Lord has stopped the presence and power of His Spirit. I have not discovered where Jesus has re-entered the tomb and laid back down. I have not discovered where Christ sent word to His church to give up. The truth is what happened on Pentecost was never to be a one-time event. It wasn't a one and done. But it is continual. It is just as alive today in the 21st century church as it was in the 1st century church. By reading the book of Acts, we see what happens when we wait. We fast forward to a group of people on Azusa Street in the early 1900s who desired God to move like He did on the day of Pentecost. And as they waited on the Lord, as they waited, He filled them with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and one by one they started speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They prayed through until the Holy Ghost filled them. They stayed in God's presence until God brought His glory down. They waited until God allowed purification and cleansing of their hearts, their minds, their souls. They went out empowered by the Holy Ghost and shared their story in the highways and the byways of what God had done in their life. I once was wretched but grace. I once was addicted, but grace. I once was lost, but grace. God's grace met me when nothing else could. They shared how Jesus rescued them, redeemed them, and was restoring them into His holy image. And here we are tonight. This does not happen by happenstance, does it, Brother Beckerton? This is what happens when you wait. People all over the world are receiving the promise. People all over the world for the first time are being filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in that heavenly language. He's still interested in changing our world. And I believe with all of my heart that the greatest church, the greatest days of the church are in front of us. They're not behind. We will see a mighty move of God in our lives, in our homes, in our church, in our city. Come on, somebody, as we wait. And I believe that the same Holy Ghost that transformed the world in the first century is alive and well in the 21st century. But for those tonight who are still waiting, for those of you who are sitting here tonight with that aching in your soul, that longing that is begging the question, how much longer, Lord? How much longer will I feel this emptiness inside of me? How much longer will I go hungry? Are we there yet? Let me tell you here tonight that the waiting is over. And the message to those who will listen is that the promise is for you and for your children and for all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Some say, oh, it's not for today. That was just for the book of Acts. But that's not what, chap that's not what verse 39 tells me. It's for you. The promise is for you.
And so tonight I'm going to open up these altars. And while the wait for the promise is over, God still requires us and still longs for us and still wants us to wait and linger in His presence. Don't be in a rush to rush out of the doors and say, okay, God, I've got my five seconds of praise in. I'm full for the week. I've had enough. I'm going to go home. Lord, what would happen if I just wait on you? What would happen tonight if I just waited to see what you would do, what you would transform in my life as I waited on you? Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.